This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It is, what is it now? Wednesday? Wednesday. Wednesday. Still the same day for us. I, uh, we're recording everything <laughs> on the same day, in case you haven't noticed. Um, so it is Wednesday, and we are doing cardiology. Daphna, how are you? Doing well. All right. So today, we are going to actually finally dive into um, some of the specific congenital heart disease. We're going to start with um, the uh, cyanotic heart disease, specifically transposition of the great arteries. And I was telling you off air, it's one of my favorite um, congenital heart disease. <clears throat> so um, the cool thing about transposition is that in case... In I do case like it you... because it has a classical clinical binding. <laughs> That's right. But um, so there are two kinds of transposition, and we're going to talk about them separately. I'm not going to talk about them. Um, I'm not going to talk about them together. The the most common transposition. So there's the DTGA, dextro TGA, and levo TGA. So depending on how the defect is, you'll have two types of transposition uh, scenarios. We're going to talk about first DTGA, which is by far uh, the most common version of that defect. DTGA uh, represents 5 to 10% of all congenital heart disease. As we said, if you're looking for the most common cyanotic congenital heart disease in the first week after birth, that's your guy, DTGA. It affects male at a much more predominantly rate, 3 to 1. Now, what is the pathophysiology of the transposition of the great arteries? It's kind of straightforward. You, you sort of know the anatomy of the heart to be right atrium, right ventricle, pulmonary artery, back to the left atrium, left ventricle, aorta. Well, the um, four-chamber aspect of the heart remains uh, the same. My wife is passing by. My wife, the cardiologist, is passing by, and I'm explaining TGA, so it's now, now I have... She's chuckling at you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, Don't mess No pressure up. whatsoever. So um, the four-chamber anatomy of the heart is preserved. However, the vessel emanating from each of the ventricle is switched. So instead of having the aorta coming out of the left ventricle, you have the pulmonary artery. Instead of having the, the pulmonary artery coming out of the, of the right ventricle, you have the aorta. And so why is that a problem? The problem is that you, um, you create parallel system and there's your systemic circulation and your pulmonary circulation are now completely disconnected from one another. And so if we were to trace the route of the blood back uh, from the body and we go um, from the SVC and the IVC and we end up in the right atrium, then that deoxygenated blood then makes its way to the right ventricle. And then instead of going through the pulmonary artery to get oxygenated, it actually goes into the aorta back into systemic circulation. And so that blood really never sees the lungs. And on the other hand, the blood being pumped by the left ventricle now gets pumped by to the pulmonary artery 
to the lungs and comes right back to the left ventricle. Again, creating these two parallel circuits that are not really communicating with one another. <clears throat> um, now, um, in order to be able to even survive transposition of the great arteries, you need to have some form then of shunt. You need to have some form of communication between the two sides of the heart in order to create mixing, whether it is at the atrial level, whether it is at the ventricular level, or whether it is at the vessel level with the PDA. Now, most patients only have one small connection between the atria, either NASD or a PFO, and you see a VSD in about 50% of cases. Um, in terms of uh, the clinical presentation, it's quite striking, and you mentioned that. So they have severe cyanosis since birth as a result of these separate circulation, and if and you hope that they have a point of mixing, but that point of mixing is not it's not great. So um, it's it's going to be a bit less cyanosis, but you're still going to have cyanosis. And what they'll have is, um, I mean, not always, but most commonly, the presentation is that they'll have differential cyanosis. <clears throat> and if you remember. Uh, Daphna mentioned what differential cyanosis was on Monday, which is that your postductal sat is um, superior, is higher than your preductal sat, and um, and so that's that's a very typical scenario. So a PDA, for example, would lead you to have a right-to-left shunting, which means your postductal sat would always be a bit lower. In this case, it's the opposite. Now, if you have an intact ventricular septum, PDA, and one of the following. Um, you have uh, a pulmonary hypertension, interrupted aortic arch, or coarctation of the aorta. <clears throat> um, now, if um, of, of all the different shunts that you could have, but the presence of a VSD does allow for better mixing. Um, what they can develop over time is is congestive heart failure, and uh, really, you're not really. It's not one of these scenarios in which you're going to put a stethoscope and you're going to hear like a prototypical murmur for a TGA, unless obviously they have. Uh, pulmonary stenosis associated with it, or they have a VSD, then you'll hear those, but you're not going to hear something specific to TGA. Um, the one thing, though, is that when the heart sounds, you will hear um, a change in, the, in, the, in S1 and S2 with a loud and single S2 further from the chest wall and um, a P2 that may not be appreciated. Now, in terms of other clinical findings, when we're doing chest X-ray, the heart signs will be normal um, or maybe slightly increased. You'll have increased pulmonary vascular marking, but there is that prototypical sign that is often referred to as the egg on the string with a narrow mediastinum secondary to basically the anterior posterior, posterior aorta and uh, main pulmonary artery relationship and an involuted thymus. On EKG, I think this is quite um, important to know is that you will see right QRS axis, you will see right ventricular hypertrophy, um, you will see combined ventricular hypertrophy if you have a large VSD, PDA, pulmonary stenosis, left ventricular outflow tract obstruction, and you could see right atrial hypertrophy. In terms of the treatment, I think the first thing, the, the immediate next step is to maintain the patency of whatever shunt you have. So a VSD is unlikely to close on its own, but if you have a PDA, you want to start prostaglandin right away, PGE1. Um, you want to treat any form of acidosis. I think like we said, with any cardiac condition, acidosis is not really something that can be tolerated very long. Um, and then you can do a uh, palliative emergent 
rash kind procedure if you have inadequate mitzing where you basically artificially creating the shunt yourself so that you could have adequate mitzing until you can actually go for final repair. And the um, procedure that would be involved in fixing um, TGA would be an arterial switch where basically you would swap the vessels back and it's a very tricky procedure mostly because it would involve also moving the coronaries which do not give you as much flexibility as you would like so far so good okay um so the other form of tga which is uh interesting is now ltga which is very rare less than less than a percent of all congenital heart disease also greater incidence in males but what happens there is that you lose um, what's called um, atrioventricular concordance. So in the DTGA that we just talked about, your right atrium is right above your right ventricle, right? And your left atrium is still above your left ventricle. Only the arteries are switched. In LTGA, not only are the arteries switched, but so are the ventricles. So now you have a very bizarre pathway where you have um, blood coming to right atrium, then entering the left, the left ventricle, going out the pulmonary artery, coming back to the left atrium, entering the right ventricle, and then coming out the aorta. So super weird. But what that does is that it removes the problem of having a parallel circuit. Because now, if we're just going to, let's say, let's say we, we walk, let's say we're one red blood cell coming back to the heart. So we're coming back through the IVC, and we are entering the right atrium. In LTGA, you're entering the right atrium and you're going to go into the left ventricle. And the left ventricle is going to pump through the pulmonary artery to the lungs. And then you're going to come back to the left atrium, you're going to enter the right ventricle, and now you're going to come out, come out the aorta back to systemic circulation. So now the circulations are crossed again and you have a very different scenario. Now, the one thing before and so that's we go into. Why, that's why they call it the congenitally corrected. Absolutely. TGA. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's called the, it's the congenitally corrected because of AV discordance, mm -hmm. which is kind of weird because when you have AV concordance, it sounds like, oh, it's concordance. That's, that's good really thing. good. That's not <laughs> that's good. <right. laughs> um, AV discordance is actually helping you out. And so the, the one more thing that I'm going to talk about in terms of the pathophysiology is that it has a high association with other cardiac defect. Uh, 60 to 70 percent association with BSD, 30 to 50 percent with pulmonary stenosis, and 30 percent uh, with tricuspid regurgitation. Now, in terms of clinical presentation, because of that um, discordance, they'll they'll be acyanotic, so you won't see that cyanosis, and they'll have minimal respiratory distress if they have no other cardiac anomaly. Um, but because of the high association with other cardiac defect, it's, it's very common for them to have cyanosis. If they have a very large VSD, they can actually go into heart failure like other patients with VSD. Um, and they will also have, like in DTGA, a single S2 sound. On chest x-ray, uh, you'll see a straight left side of the heart secondary to the ascending aorta. And um, the other findings are depending on the, depending on the other cardiac condition. On EKG, it's quite, uh, I think it's something that you, you probably have to, uh, to commit to memory, but you'll have an absence of a Q wave in lead 1, V5, and V6. Uh, you may see a Q wave in V4 and, uh, or V1, and they can have varying degrees of AV block. 
the management is about treating congestive heart failure and really surgery will be the sort of this is the kind of cases they discuss at cath conference where they decide based on the picture of each individual patient what's the best approach so there's not going to be a single answer for you and um yeah so that's tga i think for the purposes of the podcast we are good here there's another section in the book that goes into the variations of dtga whether they have dtga with inadequate intra-atrial mixing without a VSD, DTGA with good intra-atrial mixing without a VSD, DTGA with a good intra-atrial mixing and a VSD, but that's now not getting into the weeds. And I think they have a very nice graph that you should take a look at. This is on page 23. And so I will let you, I think, I hope that you understand TGA and you're going to be able to go through this uh, pretty rapidly. Okay? okay? The next one is Tetralogy of Fellow. <laughs> you want to do this or you want me to go ahead? Yeah. I got it. Okay. Okay. I can do some of them. I know you can do all of them, but I just. <laughs> so I feel bad. Yesterday, you took, you took, you, you, you oh, yesterday, yeah. not only did you do the thing, you also <laughs> did the question. So now I'm having like a little complex here. All right. So, Tetralogy of Fallot. Uh, like we discussed yesterday, it's 8 to 10% of all congenital heart disease. And you told us that the transposition of the great arteries was the most common cyanotic heart disease in the first week of life. Um, the tetralogy of flow is the most common cyanotic heart disease beyond the ne neonatal period. So it may not always present um, for us, <laughs> thank you, um, but it might. Uh, there's a right aortic arch in 25% of babies with tetralogy of flow. And I told you before, if you see a right aortic arch, um, you should be looking for other congenital heart disease. And there's a much increased risk of coronary artery anomalies and extra cardiac anomalies. So why is it called the Tetralogy of Fallot? That's because it has four major characteristic features. It has uh, first a VSD, ventricular septal defect. The second, it has right ventricular outflow tract obstruction. The third, an overriding aorta. And the fourth, right ventricular hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. So, And to talk a little bit, go ahead. No, I was going to give, try to uh, give people my way of remembering this. All right, let's hear it. So the Tetralogy of Fallot is, you can remember it as four separate defects, but they're sort of mm -hmm. one mm -hmm. following after another. You, 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 know, you know about this, right? Mm -hmm. So that... It all starts with the overriding aorta. So basically, you have the aorta right, basically uh, straddling the two ventricles. And then if you know this, um, and you know that blood from both ventricles isn't coming up the aorta, then you can figure out what the other three defects are. So if blood from both ventricles are coming to the aorta, then there has to be a VSD. So mm -hmm. that's defect number two. And because the aorta is taking the spot where the pulmonary um, artery should be, it sort of displaces the pulmonary artery to the side and uh, creates uh, this, um, this, uh, oh shoot, this, uh, this. Uh, the obstruction. The obstruction. Oh my God, thank you. So <laughs> because it's overriding the aorta, it's pushing the pulmonary artery to the side and it's going to create, um, uh, it's, it's going to almost sometimes even block, right? Which is what you have when you have a TET spell. And so that's going to create this right ventricular outflow tract obstruction. And because the heart, the right side of the heart has to pump much harder to try to get some of that blood into the right side, it will become hypertrophy. So 
it's it's one of these where you can actually figure out all the different defects based on the on the pathophysiology of the overriding aorta if that helps you're welcome yeah no i think that helps a lot a lot a lot a lot um yes i was gonna say some of that fe- some of those features i will discuss but not all of them so i think that was mm. very helpful um, some other things to note, the VSD is typically perimembranous. It is always large and it is unrestricted. So that's part of the physiology, right? Because the left ventricular pressures equal the right ventricular pressures. But the direction of shunting across the VSD is dependent on the degree of the right ventricular outflow tract obstruction and on the relative differences between the pulmonary vascular resistance and the systemic vascular resistance. This makes sense about the flow. And the VSD defect is often denoted as a malalignment defect because the aortic root is overriding, like you said. And the right ventricular outflow tract obstruction can, can, can um, occur at almost any part of the pulmonary artery, at the infundibular region, the valvar, or the supervalvar regions, again, in the pulmonary artery. And because of this right ventricular outflow tract obstruction, like you mentioned, this right ventricular hypertrophy develops. And you, um, you briefly inferred something about a death spell, um, and we will get to that in just a second. But first, I think it's important to note um, that there are different severities of tetralogy of flow. Um, you can have a mild right ventricular outflow tract obstruction, which the cyanotic part of tetralogy flow is that right ventricular outflow tract obstruction. So if you have a mild obstruction, um, the shunt across the ventricles is left to right. And we call these babies pink tests because they don't typically um, present necessarily with this cyanosis. They're not ductal dependent and they typically have no congenital uh, um, uh, congestive heart failure. These babies may become cyanotic later in life um, at one to three years of age. And so what exactly happens? The shunt is left to right at the level of the VSD, but the effect is minimized because there's also um, pulmonary valve stenosis. So only um, these small to moderate VSDs and, and then the heart size and the pulmonary vasculature are slightly increased. They um, can still have the systolic murmur at the left lower sternal border that transmits upward along the entire left sternal border. They have an S2 that is single and loud, again, because the aorta is pushed anteriorly. The EKG may show right ventricular hypertrophy um, which is not commonly seen in the isolated large VSDs, but this is due, again, to those increased right ventricular pressures um, as a result of the uh, pulmonic stenosis. So that's a pink test. They have the physiology, they have this mild right ventricular obstruction, but they're still getting blood flow across. What we see most commonly, the clinical vignette that we will likely get is a severe right ventricular outflow tract obstruction in the tetralogy of Fallot. And so we call these blue tests because they are cyanotic. They have decreased pulmonary blood flow. They have decreased pulmonary venous return to the left atrium. And so 
the left atrium and the left ventricle may be normal or they might be slightly small because they have this decreased venous return. So everything about the heart and the volumes and the size of the heart are dependent on um, long-term flow. The blue tet or the severe obstruction um, is ductal dependent. They typically don't present in, in congestive heart failure because none of the chambers themselves are volume overloaded. And so the physiology um, is still related to the right ventricular outflow tract obstruction. But in this case, the shunt is actually right to left at the level of the VSD, um, which leads to the decrease in pulmonary blood flow and cyanosis. They have small pulmonary arteries and the left atrium and the left ventricle may be slightly smaller because, like I said, the decreased pulmonary venous return. Remember, this is in contrast to the mild obstruction in the pink tet where the shunt is left to right instead of right to left um, and the overall effect is minimized due to the pulmonary vein stenosis. Uh, the severe obstruction uh, has a, a loud uh, pulmonic uh, stenosis murmur, and the smaller the degree of the pulmonic stenosis, the louder the murmur because of greater amount of blood flow through the pulmonary valve. So if you have severe pulm pulmonic stenosis, there's a large right to left shunt, um, and only a small amount of blood passes through the pulmonary valves, thus a softer murmur. The S2 is still often single and loud because the aorta is displaced anteriorly. And the chest x-ray um, is likely pretty normal, except that as these changes continue, um, that's when we may develop the boot shape later in life. And the EKG shows um, similar even to the mild obstruction, a right ventricular hypertrophy because of the right ventricular pressure overload and right axis deviation. Clear as mud? Clear as mud. Did you know that uh, the, the, the guy who named the defect after Arthur Fellow practiced in my hometown in Marseille? And that like, there's like, a, there's like a roundabout that has his name. And uh, yeah, he published. Very interesting. He published like the first observations of of these disease in like a local medical newspaper. So yeah, I wish he was more famous in my hometown. Not yeah, many people that know sounds about. pretty. That sounds pretty important. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm gonna finish the day by discussing the Tet spell, which you Go. touched upon yeah. briefly. This is a hypoxic spell. It's usually seen in cases of severe right ventricular outflow tract obstruction, and what happens is there's the baby's upset, they're crying, they're stooling, there's some sort of increased activity. Um, they have an, a decrease in systemic vascular resistance. They have kind of this increased right to left shunt across the VSD, which leads to decreased PO2, acidosis, increased PCO2, has stimulation of the respiratory center, which leads to hyperpnea, rapid and deep respirations. They have decrease in intrathoracic pressure and increased blood return to the heart, which increases the systemic venous return. And then the fixed right ventricular outflow and flow towards uh, the left ventricle in aorta. So basically it's this intracardiac shunting that reduces um, 
that increases the right to left shunt across the VSD and it reduces pulmonary blood flow mm -hmm. to more cyanosis. Yep, that makes sense. Now, how do we manage these hypoxic spells? The best way to do this, which we kind of can pull from <laughs> the reserves, is a knee to chest position. Um, and so what this does is it um, increases the systemic, systemic vascular resistance. Um, and so it decreases the shunt, it mediates the shunt. Now we could use more, less commonly, we use morphine. Um, the effect is thought to act on the central nervous system, which breaks that cycle where I told you the stimulation of the respiratory center. Um, bicarb can correct acidosis and decrease respiratory drive. You can use vasoconstrictors to increase the systemic vascular resistance. You can use beta blockers. We're not sure exactly why, but it seems to decrease the spasm of right ventricular outflow tract, outflow tract obstruction. And you can expand the intravascular volume with fluid boluses. Long-term management um, of the, the TET um, is P, uh, prostaglandins, a palliative blalactosic shunt, uh, a and then is followed by a definitive complete repair with VSD closure and correction of the right ventricular outflow tract obstruction. But to manage those um, hypoxic spells in the NICU, that knee to chest position is typically the best way to go in the, in the acute period. Okay. Okay, that's all the time we have for today. But I did have one question since we're talking uh -huh. about the great vessels. Um, cardiology question three. On day of life number one, a term infant develops expiratory strider. A barium swallow study uh, illustrates an indentation in the esophagus, suggesting a complete vascular ring. Echocardiography confirms this diagnosis. Of the following, which is the most likely cause of this infant's vascular ring? Is it aberrant left pulmonary artery, aberrant right pulmonary artery, aberrant right subclavian artery, anomalous anominate artery, or the double aortic arch? You just have to commit this one to memory. <laughs> double aortic arch. That's right. It's the double aortic arch. Um, a true or complete vascular ring occurs when the vessel completely circles the trachea and the esophagus, leading both to feeding and respiratory symptoms. A double aortic arch is the most common cause of a complete vascular ring, up to 40% of all rings, and results from prevailing right and left fourth branchial arches. A right aortic arch with a PDA or a ligamentum arteriosum accounts for the remaining complete vascular rings and results from persistence of the right fourth branchial arch. Mm. Um, all of the other options I gave, aberrant right subclavian, anomalous anominate artery, aberrant left pulmonary artery, um, they all are causes, um, but with much lower occurrence than the double aortic arch. All right, buddy. I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.